You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So awesome to have you in church with us today. And uh, we also have all of our campuses, all of our locations joining us. So we have our location in Bury joining us, our location in Wimslow. We have everybody in Chester, everybody in Cardiff, and those watching as well in Sheffield, and of course, everybody online. So come on, Manchester Central, let's put our hands together and welcome every single person joining from all of our locations. It's great to have you with us wherever you're watching, and also great to have you in the room as well today, church. We've got a crew uh, walking around today from Real Housewives of Cheshire who are in the building. So why don't we welcome them as well into the auditorium, Shane and Sheena and all the team as well there. So good to have you with us. Now, listen, hopefully you have read the vision brochure. There it is, it's on your seat or it's under your seat or you're sitting on it, it's there. We have our vision party weekend in two weekends time. And uh, we are focusing our attention on three things again, helping the vulnerable, and we're expanding our reach and building a home. And of course, as you all know, we are building a new modern day church cathedral on this site. And we are so, so close. And we're all still continuing to press in and believe in God in this stage as we continue to sow into it that we're gonna see God do something really remarkable on this site But please make sure you have a look and see everything we have been doing as a church in the last year in terms of helping the vulnerable, expanding our reach. Of course, our two new locations of church in Sheffield and Cardiff, we're running pre-launch services. They're nearly up and running. And of course, Audacious Church in Geneva in Switzerland as well, which is awesome, which basically means you can go skiing in winter and still go to Audacious Church on a Sunday in person. That's anybody... Like that idea? Anybody like the idea of audacious Hawaii? Give me a wave. Hawaii, oh, okay, okay. See, some of you are more excited about that than you were about worship a moment ago. We're, we're gonna get to that. South of Spain, we should do the South of Spain. France, any, do we have any people like France? We should do France. Three of you like France? Okay, we'll move on really, really quickly. Okay, four, five, six, okay, that's good, good. So make sure you have a look at that brochure and uh, it's got all the information in there about everything we're about, everywhere we're going, everything we're doing. And uh, it also smells amazing as well, which is a whole other thing. Listen, I have been going to church all my life. If you've been going to church all your life, give me a wave. You've been going to church all your, I mean, all my life. In fact, from nine months before I was born, I was going to church. I had no choice. My mum was taking me. So what I'm trying to get to you is this, is that I have been going to church all of my life. I have been going to church in all states of dress. Not in a dress, but in all states of dress. Because I am a child of the 80s. Come on, somebody. I remember when fashion was an absolute faux pas. In fact, here am I in the 80s going to church. Look at that. That's me in Australia going to church. And we're gonna scroll through a few more images of me in the 80s going to church. Because the reality is this, I went to church in all states of dress. I remember back when, I remember back when uh, American football shirts were the rage. 
Look at me. Oh my gosh. How did that get in there? Beach ball kid. Um, I, I, I went to, I went to sh- church in an American football shirt. It was a netted, it was a netted shirt. I went to church in effectively a netted shirt. It was so bad, I refused to put that on screen because uh, that, that wouldn't be a good, uh, a good thing. I've been to church in all states of health. Now, if you had a mum like me, if you were sick, that was no excuse to stay home. Are you dying? No. Well, even if you are, you're going to church, boy. Because the best place to get help and to get healing is through Jesus. You need to get your backside into church. I would go to church in all states of mind. In other words, when I don't wanna go to church, didn't wanna go to church, my mum would kick me out the door, say, you're going to church, boy. And even now as a pastor, when I don't wanna go to church, I still gotta go to church. You know, I've been to church in all weathers. I once, here in Manchester, got stuck in my car. At the time, it was an Audi A7 rear-wheel drive, and I couldn't get out. So Pastor Stuart Keir picked me up in his 15-year-old Ford KA. It was a rust bucket, and we still got to. I've been to church in all weathers. As a child growing up in my home city in Australia, it was prone to flooding. And one particular week, we had a, a huge deluge of rain. I mean, it was, I mean, the flood waters were rising. Even Noah was getting involved. It was so bad. And it reached a point where on the Sunday morning, Dad said, we're going to church. And I said, Dad, uh, it's flooded outside. He said, we're going to church. And so we got in the car. We drove to church. He tried to drive down the road next to the river that was flooded. The car got flooded. The car stalled. And with rising floodwaters, my dad got out of the car, having taken off his shoes. He rolled up his trousers and he walked to church and left his family in the car. And he said this, he said, hey everybody, I'm gonna get you some help. He goes to church, the RAC, it's called the RACQ in Australia. The RACQ came and picked us up and didn't take us home. We went to church. Because what my mum and dad were doing is this, they were teaching me the importance of church. Teaching me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the importance of having the house of God as a foundation in life. And over 40 plus years of going to church, I have learned the lesson that actually when you honour God and you honour God's house, it releases something from heaven into our lives. We're gonna look at that in the Bible right now. You see, we all have foundations in our life. We all build our lives on something. Some of us, we maybe build our lives on the foundation of fashion or looks. We maybe build our foundations on education, on career, on money, on wealth, on fame. We maybe build our foundations of our life on climbing the corporate ladder. But friends, what do you do when those foundations are shaken? What do you do when that which you've built your life upon is no longer there? When it's now removed from you? You see, what my mom and dad taught me is this, is the importance of putting God first and honoring his house. Now, even Jesus did that. Jesus Christ, the one we follow. We're called Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, little Christs, followers of Christ. And it says here in John chapter two about Jesus, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and in the temple courts, in the house of God, 
and found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money because the, the, the temple in Jerusalem had their own currency. And in order for people to sacrifice, they had to go in and exchange their currency in order to buy doves, etc., in order to do the sacrifice. The Bible says he made a whip out of cords. He drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned the tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the disciples remembered that the verse, the Bible in the Old Testament, Psalm 69, said passion for God's house or zeal for God's house will consume me. It will be a passion. It will be a foundation in my life. Now church, I want you to know that what the Bible teaches us from beginning to end is this, is that God is looking for us to agree with his principles, his pathways, and his promises. And when we choose to continually align our lives and walk in agreement with God's principles, pathways, and promises, then God releases something into our lives as we're about to see. In Psalm 133, verse one in the Bible, it says how blessed it is. And the word blessed means to be fortunate, to be happy, and to be envied. So how fortunate it is and how envied you are when the people of God come together in agreement, in unity. And then it says in verse three, for there God commands a blessing. For there God releases something into all of our lives. And so what I'm trying to say is this, is that when we make God, His Word, and His house a foundation, a pillar in our lives, God promises some things. In fact, He promises four things, four things that we're gonna leave you with today. So in your Bibles, we're gonna look at 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses one to two, and then just a few more verses. And it says this, after David settled in his palace, after David settled in his palace, Now here's what had happened. King David built a house. It wasn't just a house, it was a palace. It was something that caused everything else, every other house, every palace in this nation to pale in significance to the grandeur of the house, the palace that King David built. And as he sat in his house, looking at the wonder of his house, he then said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar these cedars that he'd he'd shipped in from Lebanon, while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, you've probably seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, but, but, but the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God. And when God's people were released from slavery in Egypt, they had a long season where the Ark of the Covenant, the promises of the presence of God, would go from tent to tent to tent, there was no house for it. And now here we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, and David is saying, wow, look at my house. Look at what I've got. Look at how God has blessed me. And then he had a moment. He said, oh my gosh, I am sitting in a house, but there's no house for God. And this is what he's talking about here. He's saying that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent, but I'm gonna build God a house. Nathan 
replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it for God is with you. Let's jump down to verse eight. God speaking says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now, David, now, not before, but now. Because your heart is to build me a house, now. Because your heart is to put me first and make me and my house foundational in your life, now, watch what I will do. Four things. I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I'll provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. Verse 10, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my, my people Israel. He says, I will also subdue all of your enemies. I declare to you that I, the Lord, will build you a house, build a house for you. And when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Father, thank you for your word. And in these moments that we have together, I pray that these thoughts, these words that are uttered from stage would be like a revelation, a wake up moment for every single one of us in this place and watching online, myself included, as we choose to embrace your promises in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God says four things. He promises you and I four things when we build our lives on the Word as a foundation, Him as our foundation, and in the house of God. And He says here firstly, I will handle your promotion. I will, as a promise, handle your promotion. Because He says here in verse eight, I will make your name the greatest of all the men in the land. I will handle your promotion. And I think one of the things that I've observed of many years of being a church minister is this, is that at times, we Christian people can make a mistake and make promotion the prize. That what we're doing is we're going after promotion, we're making increase, we're making the more, we're making the blessing the goal, and what we do is in making promotion the prize, we really take our eyes off the prize. What's the prize for a churchgoer? What's the prize for a follower of Jesus Christ? The prize is not promotion. The prize is a person. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says this. It says, we should fix our eyes on Jesus, yeah. the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the first. He is the last. Colossians chapter three, verse four says this. When Jesus Christ, who is your life, appears. Jesus is not the optional extra on the side for an hour and a half on a Sunday and then from Monday to Saturday, we live like demons. No, He's everything. The prize is not climbing the corporate ladder. The, the prize is not an increase to a better suburb. The prize is not a better selection of clothes to choose from. The prize is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. His name is Jesus. He's immovable. He's unshakable. He doesn't change. In fact, the Bible says that. Jesus says, I do not change. Now, how many of you are glad that we no longer have the fashion of the 80s? <laughs> Actually, having said that, my daughter often comes home in an 80s jumper. And I say, 1987 called, babe, she wants the jumper back that you're wearing. But Jesus doesn't change. Promotion is not the prize. In 1996, my wife and I, Sophie and I, got married at the end of um, 1995. 
We studied theology, we went to Bible college. And in our final year, we were invited to be the youth pastors in one of Sydney's largest churches. And thousands of people in the church, hundreds and hundreds of teenagers in the youth group. And for the weekend, we went down and we, we preached on a Sunday. We did stuff on, in, the youth, in, in the youth meetings on the weekend. And afterwards, the pastor said, said, hey, we want you to come and be our youth pastors when you graduate. And yet we felt just God saying, we gotta go to England. And we said this back to the pastor. We said, no, no, we think we gotta go to England. He said, no, you don't understand. This is what your salary packet's gonna be. And he, he told us what he was gonna pay us. And I gotta be honest, I was like, wow. I've never seen a figure like that. And I said, yeah, but I think God wants us to go to England. And the next week he rang back. He said, okay, he said, not only will we give you a great remuneration package, but we will give you a mobile phone. Now, back in 1996, mobile phones were about that big. <laughs> Hello? No, it's rubbish. Bye. Kind of thing, like massive. He said, and we'll give you that and we'll give you a car allowance. And I was just like, we were like, we feel like God wants us to go. He rang five times. And each time he rang, he said, we will give you more. We will do this. We will do this. We want you to stay here in this church in Sydney. And yet what he failed to remember or realize was that for Soph and I, the prize has never been promotion. The prize has always been Jesus. And so in 1996, we jumped on a plane. Six weeks after my dad, you saw a picture of him on screen a moment ago, my dad died and six weeks later, we were on a plane flying to England with just a few boxes. And we land in the Sheffield, a small church of about 120 people on a full salary of 8,000 pounds a year. We lived on 8,000 pounds. We couldn't afford to rent a house, so we rented a room. And then we rented a house, a small house. We needed boarders to lodge with us to help us pay for the house. And then we bought a fixer-upper for the grand old sum of 34,000 pounds. And spent seven years. I spent seven years. It would have been done a lot quicker had my wife made up her mind on what color she wanted the hall painted quicker. How many colors did we do? 27, 28? One day she chose a color, she went out for the day, came back and she went, no, it looks like there's blood dripping down the walls. It was a, like a blood colored red, wasn't it? It was horrible, to be fair. <laughs> and after seven years, we, we sold it and, and, and we, we moved again and moved sideways and. And then a few years ago, we started Audacious Conference with a, with a budget of 12,000 pounds and that grew to being a, a, a budget of half a million pounds. And, and then we came with a group of friends to launch Audacious Church with just 90 people on our first Sunday. And then look what God has done. And now in a current role that I play, kind of you, you get to the point where there's actually no way up in terms of the world that I live in. There's no promotion. And I don't say any of that to boast. You know me, you know me. There's nothing to boast about. I say it to say this, that in the midst of everything we went through in making a decision in our young married life that the promotion is not the prize. Our heads won't be turned by money, by stuff, by things, by anything anyone can give to us because the prize has always been Jesus. And, and what God has done is God, God has been saying, Glenn, so because I'm the prize, the doors he's opened, the platforms 
that we've walked on, the arenas that we've spoken in, and even this week in Westminster for two or three days, all of those things happen and we find ourselves in situations where we go, God, how did you do this? It's because of what the Bible says. God says, He says, I will handle your promotion. Do you know how much stress and heartache and pain and striving that would take off us? Do you know how much mental ill health maybe that would change in our lives? If instead of straining and striving for the promotion, we took a step back and said, hang on, Jesus. You were the prize. You always were. Because my Bible teaches me that there's things I'm not gonna take to heaven. I can't take my clothes and I can't take my watch and I can't take my car, I can't take my house. There's no physical thing I can take. But I tell you, when I get to heaven, friend, when you get to heaven, all you're gonna have is there's gonna be you, there's gonna be your family who get there, your friends, and it's gonna be Jesus. Jesus was always the prize. Now I tell you why it's tough trusting Jesus. It's tough because we can't see it. So in the moments of difficulty and heartache and panic, it's difficult because we can't see Jesus. And maybe that's why in the Old Testament, God's people wanted a king so they could be like all the other nations. Because God is invisible, He's unseen. But did you know something, Audacious Church? You trusted God even before you knew Him. When I read my Bible and it talks in the opening chapters and the opening pages of the book of Genesis, in the creation account, Six, seven stages of time. It says, and there was evening and morning the first day. And evening and morning the second day. Evening and morning the third day. You know, when we think about the day, we think about morning and evening. When we think about the day, we think about the moment our alarm goes off. and We go, wow, we have had an extra hour in bed. We think about the moment our eyelids open and the sun comes up and we pull back the curtains. That's when day starts, but not in the Bible. In the Bible, the day starts in the evening. In other words, when you go to bed and go to sleep, God gets busy. Mm. Yep. You've been trusting God every day of your life and you didn't even know it. Yep. So what would it be like in, 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 the, in the hecticness of, of wanting to expand our businesses? And I pray for your businesses all the time that God would increase them. You'd have multi-sites and you'd do all sorts of crazy things. I heard from one of our business people in, uh, after the first session today, he came up to me in the door and he said, Glenn, just this week, he said, we've been believing in the last month that we would reach our first half a million pound contract in our business. And he said, and just two days ago, we got it. He said, but there's even better news. He said, tomorrow, we're signing on our first ever million pound contract in our business. And I said, mate, that is so great. That's our prayer, but that's not the prize. Yeah. The prize was always Jesus. The prize was never a stage, it was always Jesus. The prize was never the stocks and shares portfolio, it was always Jesus. Yeah. And the Lord says, he says, when you commit to me, I'll handle your promotion. Yeah, work hard, yeah, do your best, but I'll handle your promotion. And I got so many stories I could tell on that, but the second thing the Lord says is this, he says, I will fight your battles. Because he says here in verse 10, he says, I will also subdue all your enemies. Now this part is life-changing. If we actually had this understanding that God fights our battles for us, if the 1.8 billion Christians on the planet, or is it 2.2 billion now on the planet, if we all just took a massive moment and took a pill called chill, and went, hang on a minute. It's not my battle to fight. So in 1996, Sophie and I left 
an incredible opportunity in Australia to move to a church of 120 people that was in crisis. And, and I felt so protective of my pastor in that church in Sheffield, and I still do. And I said to him, I said, Dave, you've got to get up on stage. You've got to tell the people what for. You've got to tell them exactly what's going on because all these rumours and all these lies that are spreading about you. Now over a coffee, he said, Glenn, he said, one of the best lessons that we can learn as followers of Jesus is this. Let God fight our battles. <laughs> what would it be like if two billion odd Christians just took a pill called chill, took a step back? My fight is not with politicians. My fight is not with Labor or Tory or Boris. It's not with any political party. My fight is not with the global summit that's taking place up in Glasgow right now. My fight is not with another religion. Hello? My fight's not with my next door neighbor. I will subdue your enemies. I will fight your battles. what revolution that would cause a revolution of kindness because we're no longer fighting because we know there's a different way to fight and it's not email send social media click face to face we have another way to fight as Christians and it's like this this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. On my knees in prayer. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. Not through social media. This is how I fight my battles. And not face-to-face -face arguments. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, you may think like I'm surrounded. You may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on, he'll fight your battles. You may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You may think like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Yeah. Come on, we're not gonna win with hate, we're gonna win with love. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, you may think like I'm surrounded. You may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. going to do is I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to back away from the argument, the fight, because this church is how we fight our battles. For the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And God says, hey, hey, when you make the Word, the Lord, His house foundational, I'm going to fight your battles. 
of a sudden we have a world where people say, wow, you Christians truly understand what it means to be a Christian. Grab a seat for a moment. Because you know, one of the things, one of the things that we've got to ask ourselves in the midst of a fight, because we all have this fight and flight thing is this, one of the things that we've got to ask ourselves is this, is what has God given us for the fight? Galatians says this, that He has given us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Can you see this juice happening over here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, self-control. That's what He gives us. And the thing that I want you to see from this on stage in this moment is this, is what starts out like this with a hard outer shell in order for us to get the sweetness of the juice. The juice needs to go, the, the, the fruit needs to go through something. And I'll tell you what it goes through, friends. It goes through a crushing. That it's when you're crushed, when you're up against it, when you wanna press in, when you wanna fight, when you, when, when you wanna get involved in the midst of battle. God, I, I, I don't wanna do this, I wanna fight. But I fight my battles differently. Lord, in this season, in this moment, may I respond with love. May I respond with joy. May I respond with kindness and, and patience. May that be what the world sees. How would that, friends, revolutionise our city? In a world that's so divided and so broken and so hurting and so fearful because we know every day, don't we? We know exactly what the coronavirus rates, rates are every day. But if we could just show the world fight our battles in a different way. He wants it. The third thing is this. The Lord says, I'll build your house. He says, I'll handle your promotion. I'll fight your battles and I'll build your house. Because it says in verse 10, the Lord will build a house for you. I mean, it's one thing having a builder build your house, but to have God build your house. 12 years ago, Sophie and I moved into a brand new house in Manchester, brand new they gave us a piece of paper. They said, this is what we call the snagging list. Is anything, problem, any wrong, anything wrong with the house? Just write it down. We wrote down 80 plus things on this snagging list. No wrong with the house. The biggest thing that was wrong was the downstairs windows. This is how mad it is, right? We rocked up on our day to view it, to have a look at it for the first time. And we noticed that the downstairs windows had the handles on the outside. But no handles on the inside. I remember standing outside going, that's unusual. I looked around at the neighbours, nobody else had handles on the outside of their windows downstairs. Walked inside, I thought maybe it's a dual window system, never seen that before. And of course, there was no handles on the inside, just handles on the outside. I said, hey Houston, I think we've got a problem. And the builder, reputable building company, at least I thought it was, he looks at it, the manager and he says, um, yeah, this is a new type of door. He said, it's actually what we call a window door. And he said, it's just kind of a new kind of thing. I said, no, what it is, is that Scally's put it back together the wrong way, back to front. And he says, I think you're right. You had to come back, replace all the windows downstairs. God will build your house. The almighty, omnipotent, 
all loving, all good, all wonderful. In Him there is no turning of evil or sin or wrongdoing. The most wonderful God, He says, Glenn, Soph, because you chose not to make promotion the prize, but you chose to make me the prize, He says, I will build your house. I'm not talking about bricks and mortar. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about my children and my children's children. I'm talking about my children's children's children, legacy and posterity and everything that comes after because God says, if you build my house, I will build you. Let me tell you what's wonderful about this. If you allow God to build your house, it changes our mental health. It changes our, the happiness that we have. It changes the, the, the sense of being blessed that we have in our house. And when you know that God is building your house, then when there comes shakings, like the, 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 the financial crisis of 2008 or the pandemic of 2020 or whatever it may be, when there comes a shaking, you are shaken but not stirred because your house wasn't built by anything or anyone else. Your house was built by God. Your house was built by God. And that changes everything. That means we don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Right now, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. God's building your house. You don't have to fear. You've lost your job. Don't fear. God's building your house. The doctor said something about, about your mental uh, ill health at the moment. Don't fear. God's going to build your house. You're reaching a moment of tension in marriage. That's okay. God's going to build your house. Because when God builds your house, like the man the Bible says, who builds his house upon a rock. Handle your promotion, fight your battles, build your house. And the last thing as we close, and band, you've been amazing sitting out there for so long, is this. Fourth thing God says is this, I will bless your children. He says to David here, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. If you're a parent, you have children. Would you quickly stand to your feet in this auditorium? If you're watching online in any of our campuses' locations, please stand where you are right now. Now surely, I'm about to pray for our kids. Now surely, this is the prayer we pray. God, will you bless our children? Isn't that the prayer you started to pray as a follower of Jesus the moment you knew that, 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 that you, you, were, you, you were pregnant? God bless this child. God bless these children. And I think this is so, so powerful because no loving parent wants their children to struggle the same way they did as parents. Certainly something happens in the church of God. Something happens in, in, in the Christian journey where what we have is we have blessing upon blessing from one generation to the next. You see, you see me now as I am, as I present myself and my wife. And if you've been to our house, you've been to our house, maybe had one of our amazing barbecues with us in the back garden on that one Tuesday last year when the sun was shining. And you see us as this, but where we started was with this picture coming up on screen right now 
This is me outside my Nana's house. This is in the valleys of South Wales. This was the home that my mum actually grew up in. That's my Nana there putting her head outside the door right in the valleys of South Wales. All my family for generations have been miners, coal miners in South Wales. My dad became a civil engineer, but my grandfather was the then leader of the Communist Party, Socialist Party of Wales. Atheist, God is dead, we have killed him. Religion is the, is the opiate of the masses and, and so have said other atheists over time certainly within the communistic ideology. And my dad was raised a communist. There is no God. And at the age of 12, my dad had a moment. He had a moment where God became alive to him and it changed him. See, that's where my family started just two, three generations ago in that house, 20 houses, 30 houses with two, two toilets out the back, miners. And then my dad becomes a Christian. My dad goes to Bible college in London. My dad begins to pioneer churches and, and pastor churches, pastor a church here in Manchester, which is where I was born. And then we go to Australia. And blessing upon blessing. So people say, well, Glenn, how is it that you get this and, and you get to live here and you get to do that? Uh, why, why are you different? Oh, I don't know, but what I do know is this, is that blessing, the way the Bible teaches is blessing goes from generation to generation. That there's, there's levels of blessing, that it should increase from one generation to the next. And in Scripture, there's something called paternal blessing. Paternal blessing. Jaden, would you come and stand here for a second? Uh, Gary, come and stand here. Dumo, come and stand over here for a second. Just come and face me. In the Bible, there's paternal blessing. And the paternal blessing is this, is that the father would place his hands on their son's life and pronounce a blessing. And you know, in the Bible, the blessing, that moment was so significant, was so significant that the sons didn't wanna go on with life without having had the blessing. You read the story of Jacob, it was such an important. And the father would put his hand on the head. It happened to me when I was 15. My dad pulled me into his office and he said this. He said, Glenn, I don't care what you do. If you sweep streets for the rest of your life, you work in banking, you become an engineer, you become a preacher, a missionary. He said, it makes no, better, no difference. You are my son, you have my name, and I love you. Bless him. Everything I have, is yours, blessing. And when he died, he gave me no money, had no money, gave me 20,000 theological textbooks for the word of a lie. But I got the blessing that was on him was now on me. And now I'm a dad and this is my son. And everything that's come from my dad passed to me is now passed to my son because it's blessing upon blessing, layer upon layer, level upon level. And there are battles that Jaden's not gonna have to fight in his life because I did, his mum did, or because his grandma and granddad did. He never got to meet his granddad, but he still fought battles. And I can tell you, Jaden, the way your granddad fought the battles is like this. He 
fought in His generation so that I could have, so that you could receive. And listen, and I don't know, I don't know, Gary, what your relationship with your dad was like, and I don't know what your relationship is with your dad. And maybe you didn't have really good earthly dads as role models, but nothing negates the fact. Gary, you build your house upon God's Word. You build your life upon God's Word. In His house, you honour God first and what God does. And this is way more significant, way more significant than me putting my hand on my son's head and giving him my paternal blessing. He said, what God does is this. God puts His hand on you. And He says, Gary, if you live your life according to my promises, my pathways and my principles, if you come into agreement, then everything I promise, I promise for you. I will handle your promotion and increase. I will, Gary, fight your battles. I will build your house and I will bless your children. Come on, parents, lift your hands to heaven. I wanna pray for you across this place. I wanna pray for your children, parents. Father, thank You for Your Word this day. Thank You for everything You have done. Thank You for speaking to us. And Lord, in this time that we have had, forgive me for going 10 minutes over, Lord, but I pray in Jesus' Name that the truth of this Word would change our hearts and lives. Thank You for the promise that we are not on our own. Thank You. We are not just waking up and going about our business because our eyes have opened. Thank You, God, that You have been busy long before we were. I pray for our children and I pray for our children's children. I pray for our children's children's children that the legacy of this house called Audacious Church as we come together in a few weeks for our vision party, as we sow and go and build again. I thank You for the promises spoken over our children. Father, for any parents praying right now, believing that their children would have a relationship with You, pray even this week, do something amazing. Do something amazing in the lives of our children. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.